and welcome to Tech Connects, DICE's podcast where we dig into the topics on tech hiring, recruiting, and careers that matter to you. I'm your host, Nick Kolakowski, and I'm going to talk to great guests every month about the current state of the tech careers world, including the tech job market, the hottest tech skills, what companies are doing to attract and retain tech professionals in a historically tight market, and much, much more. We have a very special edition of Tech Connects this time around. DICE's latest tech salary report just dropped, and we're talking to Art Zaley, CEO of DHI Group, the parent company of DICE, about the report's takeaways. When it comes to tech professionals and salary, we're in a very interesting moment. Last year's average tech salary was just a little bit over $111,000, and that was down a few hundred dollars from 2022. That's a very significant difference from a few years ago, when the average salary rose 9% between 2019 and 2021. However, Widespread cutbacks in tech spending, combined with mass layoffs in late 2022 and early 2023, put some pressure on salary growth. But as we'll get into with Art, there are lots of green shoots of growth when it comes to salary, benefits, and more. For example, although compensation has stagnated somewhat in well-established tech hubs such as Silicon Valley and Seattle, it's grown in up-and-coming tech centers such as Houston and San Diego. So with Art, we're going to dig into everything related to the report. So let's listen in. Thank you again for being on, Art. I think this is this is our third time um, in terms of you being on the podcast and the third time that we've been talking about the salary report, um, which obviously just came out. And there's a lot of exciting information in there for tech pros about everything from salary satisfaction to benefits to what you can earn in kind of various tech specializations. So um, I agree. Yeah, I'm glad we get the chance to talk about this. Um so one of the big things that we saw in the report was that obviously 2023 was a, a bit of a turbulent year uh, for tech pros, if nothing else. I mean, at the biggest tech companies, you saw a lot of layoffs, you know, startups had, you know, a, a bit of trouble getting cash in some circumstances. And then even companies that were pretty stable, you know, sometimes were kind of paring down their tech budgets a little bit and so on. Um, so as I talked to tech pros and, you know, now also as we were kind of doing the research of the salary survey, we saw that. A, a number of tech pros are kind of nervous about their prospects and they're looking at all this information, all this news about their about layoffs and so on. Um, what kind of data did we see in the salary report that you think would calm their nerves a little bit if they're nervous about kind of how 2024 might go for them? Well, I think that there's a lot of positives in the report and it represents, I think, a shift of where people are working in the United States and what skill sets are becoming very interesting to those companies. I would say that there's no question we had 263,000 layoffs in 2023, but as a whole, the tech workforce increased by our calculation, almost 80,000 workers. So net positive that there was growth in the tech workforce. And again, we're seeing signals that there is a pickup of activity in certain cities, in certain states, in certain skill areas, and uh, particularly in anything that's associated with artificial intelligence, of course, which is a dominant theme and uh, discussion point across the community. Yeah, no, it definitely seems like specialized areas. I mean, AI, you know, particularly generative AI, which a lot of companies are interested in. And then data analytics, data science is another one, which also involves a lot of machine learning and kind of adjacent skills. I mean, those are all really... When the tech pros who specialize in those things are obviously making a ton of money. Um, 
But one interesting point in the data from the salary report was also that 49% of tech professionals were satisfied with their compensation, which is not great. I mean, ideally, you'd like 100% of people to be satisfied with what they made. And that's also down significantly from 2022, when I believe it was 55%. Um, what do you think is driving the, the, those feelings of dissatisfaction? I mean, what does that mean for tech professionals that so many of them out there are saying to themselves, this isn't enough? I think it's the dual influence of the fact that compensation has been flat. That's the headline of the report itself, as well as the fact that everybody knows that inflation has been elevated over the last year. And so they're being pressured from the perspective of what it costs to live, and especially with regard to rents, which is a big part of the CPI index, and they're not getting paid anymore to do so. Um, I do believe that the report, again, emphasizes that if people want to earn higher compensation levels, they should be focused on those skill areas that are very relevant now and into the future for the U.S. economy and dominant skills like we've been talking about, artificial intelligence, generative AI, data science, data engineering. Mm-hmm. We've definitely, if you look at the report and the breakdown of the skills on the list, I mean, definitely a lot of things that have to do with data infrastructure in some way, whether it's you know containerization or analytics or any of those things were, um, you know, things that obviously would generate kind of a significant amount of, of cash and, and equity, depending on where you work and so on. Um, the thing about it that was interesting to me as well, looking at the report was how much, I mean, when people say tech worker, they think about people who work in the tech industry, but beyond the tech industry, when you know, aerospace, agriculture, manufacturing, whatever, you're seeing very high salaries for tech pros in a lot of circumstances. And then a lot of the companies in those areas are undergoing digital transformations and doing a lot of really advanced work. I mean, even the most analog um, businesses, you know, at least have a website and a cloud server or, or, or something like that. And so, I mean, for tech professionals who are reading the report and they're saying, oh, you know, I've never considered working outside of tech. Maybe I should consider a job working for defense or something like that. Um, what do you think is sort of driving that that increased earning potential? I mean, what, I what's simple, yeah. simple supply and demand. Um, and the fact of the matter is that if you looked at the job postings in 2023, uh, they were dominated by four industries specifically. Uh, aerospace defense being number one, uh, second, business consulting, third, healthcare, and fourth, finance. And I do believe just because of the notable layoffs that were really very visible for big tech, it opened everybody's eyes to the fact that there are other industries out there that have really engaging projects that allow people to express and grow their skills in really interesting ways. So the fact of the matter is um, you're going to always have higher salaries where the demand is highest. And we saw it significantly in those four sectors, those four industries. Yeah. I mean, the, the, in terms of the demand and in terms of what a lot of those companies can pay, I mean, obviously aerospace and defense, I mean, there's huge budgets. I mean, the, the, the federal government is never going to stop spending, you know, in, in some of those areas. And, but the thing that, when you speak to a lot of hiring managers, recruiters, and so on, the issue that they're encountering is that a, a, a company that's a manufacturing firm or an agriculture firm or whatever might not necessarily have the funding to compete with the tech giants of the world, especially when it comes to highly specialized skills, what we've been talking about in terms of like, you know, your AI researchers and people along those lines. Um, and so sort of pursuant to that, uh, in the salary report itself, it showed that there was 
a lot of, I mean, tech pros want certain benefits to go along with their compensation. They want work from home stipends. They want elderly care, child care. There's, there's, there's a, you know, basic health care. All these things are kind of perking up, you know, as things that they really want. But we're also seeing kind of a gap where not all companies are providing these benefits. And I'm just wondering, I mean, if, if you're giving advice to tech pros about how they can negotiate the benefits they want or need from kind of a current or future employer, I mean, how should they go about that, especially if the company doesn't offer something that they necessarily want? I think that they should be overt about what they think they really value in the relationship. And I do suspect that companies that really need those tech professionals with the skill sets that are relevant to the projects that they're working on will be able to meet them halfway. There is um, multiple instances that we know of, of companies that make waivers, exceptions, deviations to their policy. And specifically for those kind of things that are very important to the community. I mean, obviously our report shows a number of different benefits, but I'd say that the core benefits, the core negotiating points for most technology workers today are the compensation itself, the ability to work from home or what that work environment is going to be, whether it's fully remote or hybrid or um, the number of days or the time during the day that they're working remotely or from home. And then finally, um, the ability to essentially learn new skills, which I think is a big part of the natural paradigm of being in the tech workforce. Yeah. I mean, I feel, I mean, as you speak to other tech leaders and so on, are you seeing sort of, if a company can't offer necessarily like those super high salaries, but they can offer those benefits, um, is that definitely serving as a, as a huge attractor to tech pros to come on board? Like even if they can't make the huge salary they might expect somewhere else, I mean, the benefits are enough of a pull to, to pull them on because it seems like it would, but I just, I mean, what's, what's it's, what are you hearing out there? Yes. I think that especially in this kind of an environment where everybody understands that there has been a diminished amount of tech job postings over the last year, that the other aspects of the relationship have become more part of the conversation, those benefits and especially work from home. If there's one signal that comes up from the reports over the last several years, it's that work from home and flexibility in terms of um, the environment of where you are working has become a dominant theme for the tech community. And I, it's not going away. In fact, we just had a conversation with our own real estate broker about our three offices across Des Moines, Denver, and New York City. And um, the clear message from CBRE is that the tech workforce wants that flexibility. So I think that is one area that most companies are willing to, uh, be to, to really give in terms of this negotiation. It, it really seemed like a back and forth for a while there where you had companies like Meta that were saying, you know, if you want to work from home remotely full time for the rest of your life, as long as you're here, um, you can certainly do so. And then it seemed like there was a back to office push. And now it seems like it really has settled on that that hybrid um, breakdown, which, as you said, I mean, tech pros, all the data that we've seen says that tech pros, especially younger tech professionals, really enjoy that because you get the camaraderie of working in the office and seeing people face to face and then you know, sort of the, the deep work possibilities of working remotely. So, I mean, I'm, I mean, personally, I'm glad that it's going that direction. I, mean, I, I think it's yeah. the right direction. I think it's established that the productivity productivity hasn't really diminished by working from home or having these flexible arrangements. I think it's here to stay. In fact, um, the statistics that I've read recently indicate that the total United States workforce has about 25 to 30% uh, work from home arrangement allowable. 
And for the tech community, it's more like 50 to 60%. So I think that given that it has established uh, a successful track record over so many months and now years, I don't think it's going away. It also seems like something that, I mean, there's so much data out there related to hybrid work that if you happen to be a tech professional working for a company that didn't offer hybrid or remote work, you could potentially come to your manager and say like, hey, like, you know, there's there's these benefits here. These companies have been successfully piloting this. How about, you know, we get on board with it? And they probably, I imagine they probably do well in terms in terms of that. I, I think so. And I, I think that actually, if you uh, really go back in history, one of the themes that was um, evident even a couple of decades ago is that teams could work in a manner that reflected the fact that you had um, disparate geographies. We had people in um, countries like India or in Eastern Europe working with us on projects. So the idea that you had to be in the exact same space at the exact same time was something that was broken as a concept multiple years ago, at least in the tech industry. Yeah, no, I definitely, I've, Previously, when I was at Slashdot, we actually, most of our programmer core was um, Latvian and Ukrainian. And I mean, you kind of have, and you know, it's also the nice thing about it too, is that we could, you know, you, when you woke up, essentially like Jira would be filled with all these things that had been done overnight. So, I mean, that, there, there was that benefit to it now that I'm, now I'm remembering it. Um, so what the other thing too, in the salary report that I thought was really interesting, we mentioned, I mentioned this briefly before in terms of data related skills being kind of really hefty income generators for tech professionals. Um, you know, and then that obviously connects to tools like containerization and data analytics and so on. Um, and we also mentioned AI. And I'm just wondering, like, kind of what other skills do you think are going to prove critical and, and hopefully lucrative um, over the next five, 10 years, kind of given how everything is evolving? Like, where do you see, where is the puck sliding? I mean, I think that, um, they, there's no question that AI is going to be a very critical skill set for the United States economy. And in fact, there was a great report by McKinsey that was issued in July of last year that looked at all of the different um, occupations within the United States economy and how they're going to be affected by AI. One of the most important messages of that study was that tech professionals would actually be the beneficiary because we're going to be implementing AI for the rest of all these industries across America for the next decade plus to come. Um, I would say that, in my opinion, the other critical skills are the ones that are also at the intersection of high demand but low supply. What are those today and actually for the last several years? Um, cybersecurity and I would say cloud engineering. Because there is these, there are long scale secular trends towards moving applications to the cloud. That's the reason for cloud engineering. But also, the threat environment just becomes much more complicated over the course of time in terms of um, securing your environment. So, cybersecurity, also cloud engineering, and uh, the umbrella term for AI, which really consists of 15 plus different skills. The interesting thing about cybersecurity as well is that we've we've actually done a number of articles about this on the Career Advice website where the and it is it is frightening as well, just the gap between sort of the the need for cybersecurity professionals, the open rules, like kind of the this this sort of excess capacity, and then the number of people who are being put through the educational and the training pipeline to actually serve those roles. There's such a huge gap in what we need in terms of talent that um 
you know, it's it, when you think about the national infrastructure and like securing corporate infrastructure and everything like that, it starts to get a little bit scary in terms of where, you know, the, the gap. And you just hope that. Totally yeah. And, and then you think about the fact that there are certain industries where that gap is even more pronounced because their level of technology awareness, their level of technology adherence is is just lower than what, what we're used to in the tech industry or the software industry. I'm talking about like utilities. I'm talking about government in general. I'm talking about even, you know, smaller healthcare systems just lack the technology resources that we take for granted, quite frankly, in software and tech. Yeah. And one of the things in the salary report is it seemed that the training was a benefit that a lot of companies were offering and presumably, you know, all these, what we've been talking about, cybersecurity, AI, et cetera, are part of that. So hopefully, companies are paying for their tech professionals to to gear up on all of these things. And obviously people are more inclined to be trained if it's free. So, I mean, it just hopefully we're, yeah. I, I think that that's going to be a theme for the future that most companies that are uh, more evolved are going to home in on is the fact that the the tech workforce really values skills. As I've always said in the past, I think that the half-life of any particular skill is about five years. It becomes less relevant over the course of time. And so the ability to offer uh, your tech workforce skills credits or some kind of a system that allows them to advance their skill set in the way that they want to is going to become much more important. We've actually implemented that here at uh, DHI Group, the um, obviously the holding company for dice and clearance jobs. We have credits. We have a subscription to O'Reilly. All those things are very simple, but they are meaningful for the folks that are working inside of the company. It also seems, and and that's great because it also seems like hiring managers and recruiters are increasingly interested in skills-based hiring where, I mean, it's great if people have degrees, it's great if they have formal certifications, but in fact, I think Elon Musk said this at one point where he doesn't care if somebody's still in high school, if they have the AI skills necessary to allow a car to drive by itself in LA traffic, he'll hire them. And I think that's an extreme example, but I think a lot of companies are jumping on board that skills-based hiring, I assume. I mean, I, I assume that's what you're seeing yes, as well. Yes, actually, it's kind of interesting. Um, there has been a lot that has been written within the last, I would say, year about the idea that we are taking specific credentials out of job requisitions, job postings, because there is more of an emphasis on skills and the validation of skills. So just having a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or number of years of experience is not as important as going through a skills assessment and proving that the skills are, uh, in fact, part of your toolkit. Yeah. And a lot of who we've been talking to on the podcast, it seems that the, the evaluations for you know determining whether people have those skills and so on are getting more sophisticated there's a lot of startups and so on that are that are trying to kind of figure out like trying to get to the meat of it and making sure yeah. that people can actually do it it's a very interesting area i'd have to say that there isn't a consistent view as to what the right length of a skills assessment is or what areas it should cover in many cases there are libraries of skill assessments right so if you want to establish yourself as a junior python programmer you can take one skill assessment if you want to be a senior python programmer you take a different assessment but um there is a real big range in what most people consider to be the acceptable number of questions the acceptable format the acceptable duration of a skills assessment but i think we're going to see a lot more in the future of skills assessments and the need to essentially define what constitutes the right kind of critical threshold for for skills. 
Yeah. I mean, obviously for tech pros, I mean, it's, it's the, the impetus to learn these skills is, I mean, there's, there's also the pleasure of just knowing things, but then, you know, there's, there's also the money, which is, which is good too. Exactly right. And that's it folks. Talking with Arts always great. Yes, tech salaries have stagnated in some respects. However, compensation remains robust, especially for highly specialized roles such as data scientists. For managers, it's important to keep in mind that things like benefits and work-life balance continue to matter intensely to tech professionals, and the companies that offer great packages will have an easier time securing the talent they need. Here are some other key takeaways from the salary report, as well as my chat with Art. First, organizations will pay a premium for tech professionals who can build out on-premises and cloud infrastructure, especially when that infrastructure powers cutting-edge initiatives such as AI and data analytics. So keep that in mind as you consider which skills to learn next if you're a tech professional. Second, PTO usage remains steady in 2023. This suggests more tech professionals recognize the need to take full advantage of their allotted time off. If your workplace has great PTO policy, take advantage of it because your work-life balance is worth it. Third, If you're looking for areas with fast-growing salaries, it's clear from the report that organizations will pay a premium for tech professionals who can build out on-premises and cloud infrastructure, especially when that infrastructure powers cutting-edge initiatives such as AI and data analytics. So we'll see you next time. And remember, DICE is your best resource to find the tech talent you need to fill your open roles, and for technology professionals, the best place to grow your tech career. (music) 